Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. It's all over. The US will not proceed after going the distance against the Swedes. There were moments where you could offer the US some praise, but probably not when it came to PKs. It's a tournament to forget for Vlatko and co. Where do we go from here? Well, keep listening to the show. Elsewhere, South Africa tried to stop the Netherlands in vain, but the Orangi have set up a quarterfinal with Spain. But today's show is mostly about the end of the US Errors Tour, a cruel summer that ended too swiftly with some bad blood and no encore. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, your friend of mine, Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Tay-Tay. <laughs> Hello. That intro got the whole crew. Joe with the doff of the cap, Graham yes. laughing, uh, me very much appreciating it. Uh, some nice Taylor Swift work by you, Ryan Bailey. Thank you very much. I know Joe's a member of the Swift Hive, if that's what yeah. they call it. So I, 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 I am uh, like a legit Taylor Swift fan, enjoy a lot of her music. Um, people can either like me for that or, or not so much. Ryan, I very much appreciated those references. It gave me a smile. On a day that I am feeling very sad, so thank you for that. Well, that's the intention, yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there who might be feeling a bit down in the dumps having experienced the Women's World Cup today, Joe. So people like Taylor Swift. She does really big concerts in NFL stadiums. So, you know, thought I'd mention it. She's probably doing okay, all things considered. I think, you know, e- even though it seems like her and Alex Morgan are tight, I, I feel like Taylor Swift is probably doing mm. fine. You don't think she's taking it too hard today, Joe? Is that what you're saying? She's un-American? Is that what you mean? I wish I knew her catalog well enough to be able to spit (laughs) something back at you that fits, but I just don't. So I'm just going to say, who knows, Ryan? Joe, look what you made me do. Ah, oh, no, I was like, fine. The other ones are better. I'll be honest. (laughs) Joe Lowry with myself and Taylor Rockwell also joining us, returning champion Graham Rutherford. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan Bailey. I leave the World Cup for one day and look what (laughs) happens. Look at the mess that I've come back to. Sorry, Graham. Sorry we didn't keep better care of it. We were looking for someone to blame. Be. Hang on, I'm just adding to my notes. Blame Graham for loss. Good. Okay. Yeah. Right. I, I would have preferred it if, a little bad blood I would have preferred mm. it if my first show back wasn't a show that could turn into quite a stressy, shouty show. But this is what the the, the U.S. women's national team has uh, inevitably, unavoidably done to us. Indeed. Well, we'll see where the mood takes us on this episode, gentlemen. But if you do need further distraction, uh, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. If you want bonus content, well, we'll no doubt, no doubt be talking about the USWT and much more coming up. But uh, a couple of highlights that have gone up over the weekend. Joe's Film Corner, which disappointingly for me was not about films. It was about film of sports. <laughs> uh, and also, Graham did a video showing people his car who's interested oh, in that? why would you do that Graham? no one wants to see people showing you around their car on patreon what why would you even get the idea for that come on you're right i don't think people do want to watch that but you did it first ryan bailey i know that you're baiting me here and other people called for me to do my car so i'm blaming you it's all your fault guilty as charged i like that you all have established this precedent so that joe and i can continue it it will remind me of like when mtv cribs was a thing and everybody was showing off their ridiculous mansions and then chris pontius of jackass fame showed off the like truck that he was living in like living out of his truck and that'll be me with my 2018 nissan rogue like what's up y'all come and see how i'm living i've got a bunch of goldfish in the crevices of the back seats from my daughter i've got yeah. a i've got a honda cross tour tour video coming very shortly it's gonna be tight nice if it had been a week earlier i would have done a video of the Domino's delivery guy's car <laughs> and the hot box in the back. Oh, get him back, get him back, Graham. It's never too late. Uh, you have reminded me, Taylor, we do need to get to the action, but there is a Cribs episode which I think you can still find on YouTube. I believe it's Louis Boamorte. It's a player of early 2000s vintage. Um, and he shows you around his like semi-detached home and he has an, a Vauxhall Corsa, which is like a Nissan Micro. It's like a tiny little compact car. And he's doing it really humbly like, this is my car, which cost mm-hmm. like... Eleven thousand uh, pounds. What do you think? It's uh, it's quite different to the usual crib style. Anyway, look it up yeah, if you the, if you dare. 
the best one ever being Red Man's, where he's just like, look at this track lighting, y'all. <laughs> like, I put that in myself, and it's like barely <laughs> hanging from the ceiling. Uh, that, that's a pretty great one as well. Yeah, look at this house I rented for this shoot. Don't yep. you like it? There we go. <laughs> anyway, let's get to the action. USA nil, Sweden nil, Sweden winning 5-4 on penalties, as you know by now, listener. A night of incredible drama and incredible frustration in Melbourne. Uh, the US most dangerous team throughout the game uh very incredible goalkeeping from sweden pushing this one to extra time uh some eventual and disappointing uh, extra time that was uh you know three missed penalties for the us linda hurtig providing the hurting with the winning penalty Alyssa Nea appearing to save that one but she didn't get to it quite the first time joe in us history that the us have been eliminated from the world cup at this stage yeah yeah i <sighs> I wasn't ready for it to happen, to be honest, guys. I think there were a lot of different ways that we could see this unfolding to the point where I wrote for Backyield recently that you can't really be surprised about whatever happens for this U.S. team. They could have gone on to win this game and show some real quality in individual moments, and they they did some of that, and they could have gone on to continue their run at the World Cup, or they could get bounced, either because of a, a cruel bounce or something along those lines, or a, a ridiculously narrow goal line technology decision, which I still can't believe was as close as it was. I don't blame Emily Sonnet on the sidelines for not being able to watch these penalties because I was having a hard time watching as well. The other possibility was that they get sent home. And and I know I'm just sort of stating the obvious here because those are the only two outcomes at this point in the competition. But the U.S. had had sort of uniquely positioned themselves as a team that can kind of do anything. They could come out and, and really show some quality or they could come out and disappoint And in this game, I thought it was their best performance of the World Cup so far. It's unfortunate that the bounces don't go their way. What I will say, though, is there's a lot of nuance required here. And the U.S., even though they were the slightly better team, again, the margins are just too narrow for this team. And that's been the theme under Vlako and Donofsky. Either they've just been bad and disappointing relative to expectations, or even in a game like this one today, where they were, were fine to maybe a little above average or even good, like they're still not putting enough distance between themselves and the opponent. And while you can't always control the results that come in games like this, in fact, sometimes you, you really rarely control them. You can't always control the results, but you can control the process that leads you to yeah. the results. And I think that will be my biggest, uh, the, the biggest thing I remember from this era under Vlako and Donofsky is the U.S. did a very poor job on the whole of controlling their process and getting better during Vlako's almost four years in charge. And what you're saying there, Joe, about the slim margins, I think, is reflected in some of the attacking numbers in this game. So I agree. I don't know how much analysis people want to listen to after a match like this, when the outcome is really the only story on time. But broadly speaking... Yeah, hopefully some, yeah, they'll listen beyond this point. Um, This was a better performance by the US, at least coming after the the Portugal game. We can talk a little bit about the the change in shape and bringing Sonnet into the central midfield. I thought thought that worked, and it it worked in particular with getting Lindsay Horan into better areas in this game. But you look at some of the attacking numbers, the US had 22 shots to Sweden's nine, but the XG was much, much closer. The number that I saw was 1.29 to 0.81 in the US's favour. That lines up with my thoughts during this match, which was the US did much better playing through the lines and getting into better value areas of the pitch. But the execution was poor in those areas and and some bad decisions were made with, with players taking on shots from poor angles or from too far out. And just zooming out a little bit and looking at the bigger picture, that reflected what I thought was a poor attacking performance, poor attacking output from the US as a whole. At this tournament, the defense probably comes out of this tournament with some some credit in the bank. I thought it was the only unit within the team that operated well. The midfield was problematic in the Netherlands and in the Portugal game. We saw some improvement in this match, but the attack consistently, at least in the Portugal game and this match, underperformed given the level of talent that the US has. Yeah, agreed. Agreed on all accounts. I guess re twenty because I agree with both of you. Re twenty. And and I felt like the U.S. even tried to do some more interesting things, or at least they were more interesting to me. They seemed newer to me. It felt like we've seen Crystal Dunn getting forward on the left side throughout this tournament. This time at times it looked like the United States was in a like 3-2-3-2 on occasion, with Crystal Dunn getting really far on the left, Trinity Rodman staying wide on the right, and that allowed Sophia Smith to move inside and play alongside Alex Morgan. It felt to me like they were trying to build through the middle, but sometimes they would kind of switch and, pl- and play down the channel. Other times it was Naomi Gurma playing into Alex Morgan, and I think the idea was that she would knock down for Sophia Smith or Lindsay Horan, and then the United States could attack from there. So there was more variety, but it's a strange game in that I feel like 
my ending conclusion is sort of like, meh, this feels about right. It was either Sweden or Japan that I think was going to knock us out. I think the only thing for me is just that Sweden looked so toothless as this game went on. In the opening 20 minutes, I thought there was a chance they were going to make something happen. But from that moment on, and really even maybe earlier than that, it felt like the United States were the dominant team. As it went the penalties, I thought they were going to come away with the win uh, and maybe then would be punished against Japan. Uh, but that was not meant to be. So I think overall, it's just sort of a, a meh tournament, which is not surprising given like the, the issues we've talked about that Joe has been talking about for a very long time. But we should remember this is the back-to-back world champions. And I saw a lot of comments on Twitter about how the U.S. is overrated and the U.S. hasn't been good in a while. And I understand where that's coming from. I just think also credit where credit is due that they've won two in a row. It's tough to win a third. No one's ever done it. So I guess we shouldn't be so surprised that the U.S. wasn't able to do so. Just more surprising that they went out when they did how they did. Yeah, and and that's the part that sucks, right? Is there's so much – it hurts my brain. There's so much nuance that's required with this U.S. team – Finally, the game where it looks like, okay, maybe we're getting something here is the game where they they lose. And so that is already sort of a tough pill to swallow. That's what soccer does. Though. That's what knockout tournaments do. Taylor, you're right. It's not it's not a surprise that the U.S. don't win the World Cup, right? It's, it's not even really a surprise that they lose to Sweden, necessarily. Sweden are a very good team. They're ranked highly in most different ranking systems you can find at the international level. You know, this team is capable of doing a lot of stuff. The U.S. didn't allow much of anything in this game, though. They completely erase Sweden's threat from set pieces. Credit to them. Alyssa Nair, I thought, was good in this game, and she was a player I said explicitly on this show that I was concerned about coming into this match. She was good. By and large, the U.S. did many good things in this game, just as they have throughout this tournament. The real challenge, though, continues to be the attack, and that's been the problem over and over and over again. They just don't create enough high-level chances. Graham, I think it was you that brought up They'd get the ball in the final third, and maybe you'd have a poor decision being made on a shot, right? Maybe you would have a moment where Trinity Robbins in the final third, this did happen, and she could play one more pass or could drive forward two more steps, but instead decides to take a shot from outside the box. Emily Sonnet, the same thing in that first half. There were so many of those moments, and so it's this balance of, yeah, I, I can see a world in which the U.S. wins this game and continues on in the tournament, but you can't really be all that upset when you look at what was happening on the field, especially yeah. in that final third you can't be all that upset that the U.S. ends up going home. Joe, I think you've, you've more or less just answered the question I was going to ask, but I will ask it anyway. It, it felt to me in stretches of this game, and the reason why I thought they were going to win is because it did feel like they were trying some new things. They were playing better attacking soccer, even if they weren't creating clear-cut opportunities on a consistent basis. It just felt like they were building. This felt like a game that if it had happened in the second or maybe even third group stage game, I would feel like, okay, now they're putting some pieces together. Now they're figuring some things out. And and then they can kind of finish off, like round into form. And now they're going to make a run. At the end of this one, though, I'm still not sure if they had gotten through it. I feel that much better about this team. Grammar Joe, do either of you feel like if they get this win that they were going to like click and kick on to bigger and better things? Or do you feel like we would have seen sort of more of the same from an attacking standpoint and more issues when it came to getting past more challenging opponents. Yeah, I can certainly see your point of view, Taylor. It felt like the US, with the exception of that Portugal game, that felt like the real momentum killer. And if you look at teams that have done well in this tournament and teams that we would consider to be contenders, I'm thinking about Japan, I'm thinking about England, I'm thinking about France. Those second and third group stage games were where things started to move into gear for them. Yep. They started to find some solutions and the US didn't have that. And it felt they came in, it, it meant they came into this knockout round still looking for solutions. And um, the defense, if we take each unit and kind of analyze how they did at the tournament, I thought the defense was good. The second half of the Dutch game underlined the importance of Rose Lavelle in, in, in that match. This match shot, saw a shift into the double pivot and a slightly different shape with Lindsay Horan in, in those areas. So it felt like maybe that was a structure to build around and I wonder if the next match might have been a reshuffle of the attacking pack and we've kind of touched upon this already but I personally wanted to see Sophia Smith through the middle more often in this tournament I know she starts off well Sophia Smith with two goals and an assist in, in, in that game I thought generally she had a bad tournament I thought this game was a bit of a horror show for her and and it felt like she was in her head a little bit throughout this match some really heavy touches 
bad decisions, things bouncing off of her. And I just wonder if you put her in the position she's most comfortable in for, for her club team, maybe you get a little bit more out of her. I want to see Smith through the middle, I want to see Rodman on the right. Rodman had a good a good game generally in this match. The right side was fruit, but fruitful for the US, even when Lynn Williams comes on in the second half. Trinity Rodman, we should mention, playing through a pretty heavy illness. It seems she only trained twice this week, um, and which I think is a big reason why she comes off and not Sophia Smith in, in, in the second half. So we didn't really see the attacking lineup. Do you remember that that second half of the Wales game where we did see that attacking lineup? I think it was Smith. Um, it wasn't actually Smith through the middle. It was Trinity Rodman through the middle in that game. It was Smith out wide and it was Lynn Williams. And that felt exciting. There was fluidity. I wanted to see that more. But the real failing was the US arrived at this tournament without any real plan. And then from that point on, they're trying to fix the plane while flying it. So the damage, in a sense, was done before this tournament, and you're playing catch-up from that point. Yeah, sorry. And I I know Ryan can steer us in different directions here. I I love the way you you stated that, Graham. Like, the the biggest thing that I think about from this game is in, in some ways, and this is the nuance, right? In some ways, it's brutally cruel for the United States to lose this game. They were better than Sweden to, to head home after, you know, Sophia Smith has some good chances in the box and, and slips, right? Or Alex Morgan can't quite direct a header on frame or a penalty kick for Sweden just barely crosses the line and the U.S. kind of crumble as that penalty kick shootout unfolds. I, I'm hesitant to see Taylor's notebook. I wonder if there's like lots of little angry faces with X's on them or whatever that looks like. I'm eager for him to show the camera or better yet to show Patreon. All of those things can be true, right? That, that sucks for the U.S. and I really, really feel for them. In other ways, though, probably in more ways, the U.S.'s fate at this World Cup is exceedingly fitting for this team that is consistently under-delivered and disappointed during Vlako Andonovsky's tenure. I guess this is really a case of things can be two things. To me, it feels like there's a little bit of poetic justice here. Not that I'm rooting against the U.S. I I want them to succeed. I want soccer to continue to grow in this country in all sorts of ways. And the U.S. advancing would help accomplish that goal. But it is hard to look at this 90 minutes and say the U.S. should go home, it's even harder to look at the last, you know, thousands and thousands of minutes that they've played under Vlatko Andonovsky and think, yeah, this team really deserves to keep going. Uh, listener, Taylor Rockwell just held up his notebook on our Zoom call, and it is, as you'd expect, like Wes Anderson had designed the pages. It's quite beautiful. He's <laughs> um, got the penalty diagram on there. Some of the X's, I think, must be drawn on your table or uh, a bit further away <laughs> from the book, uh, but we can get to that a little bit later on. I think, Taylor... The most disappointing thing for me about this performance is that it was telegraphed. It was the fact that we all saw it coming. We did a preview show yesterday where we all pretty much unanimously said this is going to go to extra time, going to go the distance. It's going to be a slog. It's going to be low scoring or nil nil. And as much as we hope this could be an inflection point, this could be a turning point and things could snap into gear. We we all pretty much were quite certain that we were going to get more of the same and the result would be um, disappointment. Yes, much as I enjoy being correct in our analysis or correct in our preview, <laughs> which I did, I enjoyed, I think about 78 minutes into this one, uh, the Fox commentary duo were talking about how no one saw a nil-nil coming at this point in the game. And I was like, right I over heard here, that listen as well. to the total I heard that as well. Oh, boy. <laughs> but I would have happily been wrong. I would have loved to see the U.S. come out and be a more electric, dynamic, attacking team. Because when you're wrong in the preview, it also gives you something to talk about, about what they did right, what they figured out, what we can learn from this game. And it's just, I think the the ultimately frustrating thing is how all of us are sort of just like, yeah, this is about how we thought it was going to go. I don't feel that level of frustration and anger. I mean, I know Alyssa Nair does for the uh, the goal that she still thinks she saved. I, I enjoyed her arguing with the it's officials awful. A good 10 minutes after the game was over, I understand that entirely. But at the end of the day, it still feels like, yeah, this is about how we thought it was going to go. And I think that is a pretty telling thing about this team. I think Graham nailed it with the idea that they showed up with things still to figure out. I love that he stole the official Ryanair slogan of we're fixing the plane while trying to fly it. uh, Because that... (laughs) Feels pretty dead on for the Ryan way this Air tournament went it, for the Taylor, US. Then let me exactly, <laughs> it's Ryanair. It's good enough, probably. Is their slogan? Yeah. I we sit down it. and be quiet in the back. Just <laughs> accept it. Oh, we're winging it. That's good stuff, Grip. I like that a lot. <laughs> uh, can I just say, just before we go to break, uh, I think if anything from this game, something positive gotten out of it is that we have uh, we have justified the existence of VAR, VAR on mm. that final penalty because if we didn't have VAR and that controversy about that crossing the line or not would have been litigated for the rest of time by both Sweden and the US, that we have empirical evidence that it crossed the line. 
I think just, is a good thing. Have I, have I, oh, am I going to get some pushback here? No, Graham? no, no. Just sorry to be a pedant. Um, you mean goal line technology, right? Because that, that's where the call, what the call comes down to, is it not? Well, Graham, you pedant. Isn't goal line technology a different thing where, the, where, the ball, where there's a BP thing and it's not actually drawn by the diagram? I thought this was actual VAR they used in this instance. In no, it's the, so there was like a graphic that, sh- I mean, you look at the graphic and I'm not even sure if it is behind the line. It looks like <laughs> kind of like half a millimeter. Yeah. But yeah, I think when you get that graphic that shows from above and the ball um show in in relation to the line i think that's a, a glt a goal line technology thing rather yeah. than var um Graham, yes is that- i agree it, it's it's helpful to have that technology whether it's var or goal line technology it doesn't really matter it's helpful to have that to make a decision Graham, is that why you have pedantophile on yeah. your business card i was i was confused <laughs> by that so i guess that makes sense now what do we think would have happened if there weren't that. goal line technology, <laughs> do we think that would have been given as a goal or would it have been a save? I think, I think it, it would have been, been a save. save. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. the U.S. continue on. I mean, that's again, like that's another I love the the cruel summer thing you referenced, Ryan, both because it's a Taylor Swift song that's good and also just because it feels so true. Cruel is the right word, right? Like that's just another in the in the cruel series of twists and turns in this particular game. It's the U.S. controlling most of the run of play, actually showing some soccer, like switching the field from side to side. Again, the bar is on the floor, but like the U.S. stepped above that that bar a little bit, which was refreshing to see. And then they get into penalty kicks, and it feels like the momentum was entirely in the U.S.'s favor. It was, right? They had a chance to win yeah. the penalty kick shootout. Sophia Smith had the chance win? to do it. She shoots over the bar, then Sweden score. Then Alyssa Nair takes it, which is awesome, by the oh, way. So Didn't know I she was sixth on the list. That's yep. incredible. She scores down the middle. Like, what a savage. Scores right <laughs> down the middle. Incredible. Sweden come back and score. Then Kelly O'Hara hits the post. And then a listener guesses right, stops it, pushing the ball up in the air. Apparently, it goes just a millimeter over the line. It's just, it's just, it's brutal. Yeah. It is. You just know that Ederson is sending the clip of a listener taking the sixth penalty in a World Cup shootout yeah. to Pep Guardiola. That is already <laughs> in Pep Guardiola's WhatsApp. This this shootout, it's worth recapping just how messy and chaotic this shootout was. The fact that three U.S. shooters missing a row from a position of being four-two up. One of those shooters is Megan Rapinoe who is surely brought on to be that clutch player in that moment for the US. The other, Another one of those players is Sophia Smith, who is meant to be the, the superstar of this team, the, ne- the, the vanguard of the next generation. She misses. Alyssa Nair takes a penalty. Um, you have Christy Mewis, her first ever touch in a World Cup is a penalty in a shootout. She doesn't touch the ball before it goes to a shootout. It was just extremely chaotic vibes from that shootout. Yeah, it was quite something as a spectacle. I'm not sure we'll see a shootout quite like that again anytime soon. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, should we talk about puppies, fireworks and candy or should we carry on with this game? Let's decide in the break and we'll come back. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. We continue with our debrief of the U.S. exit from the World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Joe, I mentioned the errors tour in my intro there because I also feel like this is kind of 
it kind of sums up the errors of this team as well. It kind of is a team in transition in terms of it's got veteran players in there. Blackcoat arguably catering a little too heavily to the veterans in this team as well. It kind of felt moments like... I don't know, seeing like Motley Crue playing, an aging rock band playing the hits when you should maybe... Go back to Taylor you know, Swift. 19-year-olds coming back. <laughs> oh, sorry, coming back, coming back, coming back. Come back. Thank but you. Like, I mean, Graham mentioning Megan Rapino being a clutch player who should come on at that moment. Her first touch when she comes on, comes on for Alex Morgan as well. Her first touch when she comes on is, you know, letting the ball run off when she could have had a one-on-one. Her set pieces, man, were just the horrendous. The corners were not like, good. That's meant yeah. to be like, one of her things, isn't it? Right. So, but like to, to have that... That be the trick that you pull out at that late stage in the <laughs> yes. game, which has happened, of course, not for the first time at this tournament. And for it to be Morgan, who she replaced to, let's, we can probably agree, hasn't had the greatest tournament as well. It, that, that's what, why I sort of went with the errors thing, because it feels like there's a new error coming and there's been sort of a mishmash of errors in this tournament. Yeah, a little bit, right? I don't think the roster construction and the the age demographics, which is kind of what you're getting at, is a is a problem. I, I'm not really sure that that impacted the U.S.'s success or performances all that much. I would wager, and I don't know the roster breakdown. I would wager that the the breakdown of ages is fairly reflective of of the tournament as a whole on this U.S. team. What I will say is, though, Ryan, you mentioning like Vlaco's trick that he pulls out of his bag being Megan Rapino. That that continues to be an issue, right? You mentioned Sophia Smith in this tournament, and Graham, you, you talked about how she had a poor game today. I think some of that blame should go on Sophia Smith, obviously, and I'm sure she would say the same. But some blame as well should go on Vlatko. And I want to be careful not to heap all of the blame on Vlatko Andonovsky. He's not the one on the field. He is not the one playing. He's not the one either missing a shot or, or missing a pass that would lead to a shot. He's on the sidelines. He doesn't have perfect control over what's going on. But he does have control over some very specific things. And, and one of those things is the substitutions. And that's been a problem at this tournament as a whole. It is hard for me. I'm sympathetic to see it, but it's hard for me to think that Megan Rapino is is the first or second winger sub off the bench in all of these games. And I understand that you want her to take a penalty. I probably would have made that same call. I don't know that I would have done it in that way and at the time that Vlatko did in this game, but I'm sympathetic to that. The one that I'm, I'm less sympathetic to is continuing to, to go for Alex Morgan time after time after time in this competition. I don't think she was bad, but when you have Sophia Smith, the best number nine in one of the best soccer leagues in the world in the NWSL, and, and you only give her sporadic minutes as a nine after Alex Morgan's come off the field. I think she plays the nine in two games out of four in this competition and, and just for a short amount of time. That's the one I don't understand. Like, I don't understand going to Rapino so early. I don't understand not starting Sophia Smith. Again, hindsight's twenty twenty. But this isn't just a hindsight thing. Like, we talked about this before the tournament. We talked about it during the early stages of this tournament. I think that is one thing that, that the blame sits very squarely on Vlatko's shoulders yeah. for. I look forward to Alyssa Thompson's family blackmailing Vlatko after this tournament. Giorena style. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Um, Graham, we haven't really actually mentioned Sweden very much. A team no. made a lot of changes since its last game. Uh, Zakira Musevic, the goalkeeper, made 11 saves, was pretty crucial to keeping the uh, keeping this game competitive until the end. Yeah. I wouldn't say they were too positive. Sweden just had to defend a lot and were on the back foot for quite a lot of this, but ultimately profited from the US not being clinical. Yeah, so Musevic made a couple of sensational saves. There were three or four really good ones, a couple of sensational saves, 11 in total, and had it not been for her, then the US might well have won this match in, never mind extra time, in, in, in regulation time. There was a save from Lindsay Horan in the 53rd minute, which is a ridiculous stop. The, the replays, I, I don't think do justice to how hard that ball is hit and how quickly Musevic has to get down there to make the save. And how much traffic there is as well. She hits that through like three players. It's tough to see until the very last minute. It's It's an incredible save. It's one of the saves of the tournament. Yeah. And then in the 89th minute, there's the save from Alex Morgan as, as well, a header from pretty close range, and Musevich gets two hands to it to push away. So going into the shootout, I thought it was set up for her to be the hero uh, rather than goal-line technology for Sweden. But generally looking at the Swedish performance, you're right, Ryan, this is where soccer can be weird because I thought Sweden were generally really poor they, they struggled to string more than two passes together the whole match they lacked intensity and energy in the first half they weren't able to build possession on the right side like they, they usually do the quick switches over to Fridolino Rolfo never really materialized uh, the US even dealt well with the Swedish set piece threat I thought Alyssa Nair while kind of living on the edge a couple times generally did well with dealing with with those moments and they were a bit quicker Sweden 
out to the ball in the second half, but their possession play I didn't think was really much better. They did make a double sub in the in the second half and they reshuffled a bit with uh, Rolfo into the number 10 role. Jakobsen comes on on the right and then Hurtig on, on the left and they went longer, a bit quicker, and that put some pressure on the US defence. But Naomi Gurma just mopped everything up and Sweden offered little in an attacking sense. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess um, it was a little bit, peculiar that they're the team that ends up going through but as I say soccer is weird that happens sometime it's it seems from what the discord has informed me from our reliable Swedish correspondence that the Swedish media perception of this game was oh great we get the U.S. they're gonna find their form they're gonna smash us and even though we've played well we're gonna get knocked out and I just wonder if that bled into Sweden's preparations for this game because it felt to me like they're entire game plan was basically nullify any attacking threat from the United States. And that starts with, I think, their their overall shape to this one, because uh, Canard, uh, which I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of, but Swedish is difficult. Uh, she's been such a good attacker and has been so electric uh, out wide, taking people on, creating chances, playing balls in, and even cutting inside and being another sort of striker at times, or like at the very least, a very key attacker for Sweden. In this game, it was telling to me that she, at times, looked to be a right wing back, that Sweden often were in a like 5-2-3. Uh, sometimes it was a front two when they were defending, but a lot of the time I saw Kosovari Aslani sliding over to the right wing and Kinnair dropping deep, and that felt like a pretty logical way to nullify Crystal Dunn be- being more attacking. But it seemed to me like Sweden were very much focused on the defensive side of the game and kind of exactly who we thought they were going to be, defensively solid and then looking to hit on the break on occasion, but trying to focus on set pieces and and make something happen there and relying on a goalkeeper to make a bunch of saves, which Musovic did. Uh, I I think on that note, Alyssa Nair really was a key performer, maybe the key performer for the U.S. in this game. I, I have five different times in which she makes big saves or catches the ball or punches it clear in traffic. And I think for that to have been a primary point of Sweden's game plan. I think Alyssa Nair really rose to the occasion and, and nullified a lot of what they were trying to do. But I, I still think it was a smart enough defensive game plan because they get through, even if, what, what was the XG you saw, Graham? Like 0.89 or something? Not a lot yeah, of attacking uh, creativity. Yeah, indeed. Um, Taylor, I'll say this one, the, the feeling in my tum-tum watching this was like the feeling I used to get in my tum-tum watching the England's men's team. At a, at a tournament, pre-Gareth Southgate, let's say, where you know the talent is there on paper, where you know this team on paper has the ability to go all the way. But you also know, as the tournament goes on, that the teamwork isn't there. You know mm-hmm. that the tactical plan isn't there. I just got such similar vibes from that England era to this US women's era. And it's really hard to get out of that funk. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I suppose my real question here is, how does this team get out of this funk? What happens next for Vlatko? Uh, it's an interesting question because I, I mean, I, I think they'll obviously have some time now to figure things out. We, we were having that, uh, uh, chat in the Slack before we started recording about what happens. Does Vlatko see out the rest of his contract and then gets, I guess, not reappointed? Does he step down right away? I have a feeling he, he is okay with sticking around. Everything he's said in this tournament so far has me feeling like he's sort of a, everything's fine. We're, we're moving in the right direction. Things are going Okay. So maybe he steps down, but maybe he's around uh, for a little bit long after this tournament. Either way, I do think we see, we've already seen Julie Ertz retire, I think. I think we'll see some of the veterans uh, step down or less likely to get called up. Maybe they get a few, like, send-off farewell games. Uh, but I hope that there is evolution in this team. It feels like a team that we're we're just complacent and sort of... I think maybe this is lazy, but I feel like this was a team that sort of expected teams to be afraid of them. And and, and that was never more apparent to me than than the Megan Rapinoe substitutions, that it just felt like this, like, oh, we're bringing on the cheat code. Just wait. And I felt like most teams were just like, oh, a, a player who's not fast and isn't particularly good with her service and doesn't really track back defensively. Oh, no. Whatever will we do? How will we handle this? And and I and. It's sad that, like, if this is her last game for the U.S., or at the very least her last World Cup, it ends with her skying a penalty. But it also felt sort of on brand for this team. Uh, it's In looking at the penalties for a moment, uh, I think they miss three, all of them off frame. Musevich, for all of her work, does not make a save in the shootout. But it's worth noting that two of the three misses are when Musevich goes the wrong way. And if the players had just sort of like evaluated the situation as they're running up or, or maybe not gone top bins. Two of the, two of the three misses are both aiming for the top corner. 
it's a very different story. And I feel so bad for Sophia Smith. You could see her just in, in weeping in tears, being consoled by teammates afterwards. And I think it's partially for the way the game played out, but very much for the fact that she could have sealed it. But I don't think Kelly O'Hara subbing on. I don't think she was brought on in the 90 or the 120th minute to to miss her penalty. It just it felt sort of like par for the course for this team that you have the talent there. You have the individual ability to create, but also the reliance on individuality can come back to haunt you if you don't have other options, if you don't have other ways of playing. And the United States didn't. And so they created more. It felt like even if the XG was lower, this was, I think, the best performance we've seen from them in this World Cup. But it also feels fitting that their best performance still wasn't good enough to get over the line, uh, even if Sweden's penalty just barely did. Given what we saw on the men's side after the the Qatar World Cup, and given how Matt Crocker, I believe, is I'm not missing anyone in the hierarchy, right? This is this he's going to be the person that so, is ultimately in charge of Vlatko's future, right? I, I would imagine so. There is one person still between Matt Crocker, sporting director of U.S. Soccer, and Vlatko Andonovsky, or whoever is leading the U.S. Women's National Team, and that's Kate Margraf, who is currently the general manager on the U.S. Women's National Team side of things. She's the one in between, and, and sort of it seems like her future is in question as well, right. as it should be, frankly. Go ahead, Graham. Yeah, so if Crocker is the guy setting the tone and, and outlining the framework, not just of the, 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 the team and what the future of the team looks like, but also the search for Vlatko's replacement, because even if he stays until the end of the year, you would have to think that, is, that is him done. Okay, if he goes soon, then that process will, will start sooner rather than later. But given what we saw on the men's side, this is the point I'm trying to get to, um, it feels like maybe that process will take some time. You know, the next World Cup isn't until 2027. That is some distance away, obviously, four years to, to get it right. What I would say, and I mentioned this in our, in our pre-chat before we started recording, is I think this job is now more attractive because it's more attractive to prospective managers to be the one that pushes the US back up to the top of the hill rather than being the person that keeps them there. I don't know about um, finances. I don't know what, in terms of contracts what the US soccer can, can offer. I, I previously, in jest, but also not in jest, mentioned Serena Wiegmann. She is under contract with England until 2027, so I don't know whether she Leave would for, for the US. <laughs> yeah, England would not like to see the back of Serena Wiegmann. But that is kind of the level that the US should be looking for. Like They should be looking for the best international manager. They should be looking to the Serena Wiegmann um, kind of shelf. And as I say, I think this job is now more attractive in a strange yeah. sort of way yeah. that since the U.S. has crashed out this tournament. Graham agreed on the attractiveness of this job. Either way, after this tournament, there was going to need to be some construction work that's done, maybe a little bit of demolition work inside U.S. soccer. I mentioned Kate Margraf there. Uh, I place a lot of blame on her and on U.S. soccer. It's hard to know exactly you know, who always is doing what, even with some different job descriptions. I do put a lot of blame on her and, and for those that kept Vlako and Danofsky around for this long. And, I, and maybe I'm further along on this side than others are. But the, the warning signs were there so early on. Like, they've been there over and over again. The Olympics was an absolute disaster. Things did not get better for the United States. And I'm not just talking about the results. Again, you can't totally control the results. And I'm sympathetic to that. Like, if the U.S. had played great soccer and effective soccer and lost on a bad bounce today against Sweden, I would have been fine. I would not have lost any sleep. I would have been bummed for this team but that's just how this game works. The reality is that's not what the U.S. women's national team were doing leading into this competition. And it's no surprise that the majority of what we saw down in Australia and New Zealand was mediocre. Black Danofsky probably should not have been in this job coming into this tournament. And those that, that let him continue, I think, deserve some blame. So I, I, there is a possibility that we will see some restructuring or at least a new a new person above Vlatko. And we will certainly see a new a new Vlatko, like a new manager, right? I think that will happen. I don't think Vlaco is going to coach another game. The U.S. have two games coming up against South Africa in September. I, I would be shocked if we don't see some sort of interim person leading the U.S. in that competition. Vlaco went out and, and failed at the Olympics and failed at the World Cup. There's no way he is the next guy for this team. And yes, the World Cup is four years away. The Olympics is one year away. And I know the Olympics doesn't have as much uh, prestige on the soccer side as the World Cup does. That's the great thing about women's soccer, though, is you get multiple big-time international tournaments, even if there is a clear hierarchy between them, you can't afford to just dilly-dally around, give Vlaco until the end of the year, and then find somebody and wait. You know, you have to be moving forward with this process, and that should not look like Vlaco Andonofsky still looking around and being a part of this team, and I, I think even he would probably recognize that. So, uh, 
a, a point for me and then two questions specifically for Joe. Uh, the one point for me, I, I think I'm a little less optimistic about the appeal of this job than Graham is. But I will say for some of the players that we talk about needing to move on from how the program needs to evolve, how we need to keep sort of bringing through young players – I think it's a lot easier to do when the U.S. has been booted out in the round of 16 uh, versus when they're the the two-time champions. I think it's harder to move on from, say, Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino when they have won two World Cups in a row. I think there is a bit more influence there. And so I think that probably does make it a little bit easier. The Vladko question is still sort of confounding to me because when he is appointed, lest we forget, like unanimously it is this is a great hire. He is loved by players. No one has a negative thing to say about him, which now in retrospect is is maybe itself an issue that like maybe he's too liked by players. Uh, but it, it felt to me like everyone I talked to uh, in like the women's game said he's a great hire. He's a smart hire. The players love him. He's going to get the best out of this team. And then the Olympics happen. And Joe, my first question for you, which I'm assuming is just a yes answer is, is after the Olympics, is that when you think they should have said, you know what, this isn't working? Like, we need to change course? I th- I think so. I-, I would have been fine even to wait a little bit longer, right? I know the Olympics get pushed back, and so that means you're up against it a little bit. But I, I think somewhere between the failure at the Olympics, again, not just a failure because of the bronze medal, you lose sometimes, that's how this game goes, but a failure because of how the team played or how they didn't play, maybe more accurately – I think you either go then or you wait until a little bit later in the cycle when you have even more evidence and say, yeah, this this just isn't working. Like something's not working. Let's try to get a fresh voice in. We still got 18 months until the World Cup. That is time to build something with an elite player pool. I think really anywhere in that would have been just fine. And then the follow-up question then for you. I feel like when they finish third at the Olympics, when it is perceived as, as at the very least not successful – the immediate argument that I think we probably made on the show is like, but, you know, the U.S. lost the Olympics under Jill Ellis and then they won the next World Cup. Sometimes the Olympics are about figuring things out and, and, and learning from your mistakes. Do you feel like we need to change our understanding of the Olympics? Because I, I do think it would have been harsh to sack him after that. Um, it sounds like you do sort of as well. But at the same time, if we're tr- treating it as a major competition – uh, like, should we basically be valuing the Olympics more? And if they go poorly, let's say we appoint somebody, Blacko steps down, somebody new is appointed, and then we finish fourth at the Olympics or don't even make it to the the, the semifinal round. Should that person be sacked? Do you feel well, like we need to be a bit more okay if things don't seem like they're moving in the right direction? That last bit, yes. That I agree with. The rest of it, I, I wouldn't say yes to. It's not, a, for me, It's again, it's not so much about where you finish, right? I, I'm a believer in... If you are building towards something and there are clear ideas and you have the ability to execute those ideas, if you're building towards something and you lose, like, tough breaks. Like, that's how this game goes. It sucks. It's frustrating. You're going to go home in tears. You're going to go home angry and sad and disappointed. That's how this works. If you're going out there and not building towards anything, though, and you crash out and you fail, like, yeah, that's when you start to evaluate. And that's what the Olympics was for the U.S. And and. I as disappointing as I as disappointed as I was in the U.S. at that point, I think there is an argument to give Vlaco a little bit more time. And there would have been an argument to sack him as well. But it's not about like prioritizing or deprioritizing any particular tournament. It's about like watching the games. It's about U.S. soccer realizing the lack of quality that's been on the field for this team for so long and realizing that they need to do something about that. Realizing that Vlaco Andonovsky has been an underwhelming manager for so long and the execution under him has been poor, even if not all the blame should rest on his shoulders. So for me, the U.S. could go out in the Olympics in, in 12 months and and not do anything in the knockout rounds. They could struggle. They could get bounced early on. They could end up with bronze or, or, or worse. But if we're seeing something built, then I'm, I'm much more willing to sort of chalk that off as a one-off than if it's like, okay, this is the same stuff we've been seeing for years and years now. Nothing has gotten better. Graham, something I mentioned after the Portugal game on the pod, uh, to get back to the errors kind of conversation, does the U.S. need to accept that... Sorry, I I love being thematic, Taylor, that's all. Um, Does the U.S. need to accept that there is a new era here? There's a new normal in women's soccer here. The talent gap is closing. The days of the U.S. having massive financial disparity with the rest of the women's game is over. other, Other programs are catching up. The expectation of getting to the final four, maybe final two minimum in a tournament is perhaps no longer realistic. Is that fair? Um, in, in a sense, yeah. I mean, I think U.S. soccer and, and, and American women's soccer 
should accept the challenge without accepting that they can't be the the best in the world still. Like, the infrastructure is still largely there in women's soccer. It's still largely stronger than it is in other most other countries in the world. You look at the talent that's coming through in this team, and I still think there's a lot of... Like, no other country is consistently producing players like Sophia Smith and, and Trinity Rodman and Naomi Gurman. These are, these are high-quality, world-class athletes who should be aspiring to win World Cups and the biggest honours in women's football. So I, I, I get what you're saying. Yes, the landscape has shifted and this World Cup, it feels like that dynamic and that landscape has changed in countries like England. And I know they go out of this tournament, but Germany, broadly speaking, and Spain and France um, have clearly made up a, a lot of ground even since the last World Cup. But that doesn't mean that the US's program can't be successful and can't even like this program can still be dominant like that the the US is still in a good position ahead of the next world cup but lessons have to be learned otherwise they'll just repeat this cycle all over again and i think that's where joe's frustration comes from is that they have repeated this cycle for too long and now needs to be the moment that changes are made indeed let's hope that cycle is broken taylor any more on that cycle or any more positive notes to leave on before we uh head off and talk about the netherlands no just that i sad oh joe <laughs> you sad or you happy inside i i sad inside for sure the, the positive spin here is we should expect a new manager we should expect some some changes coming here soon it's reasonable to expect that the next manager that comes in will do a better job than black wendonovsky because frankly it would have been difficult not to do that uh, so I think that's a huge positive. And there are some intriguing names, not necessarily from inside American soccer. Like that's part of the problem that got the U.S. here on the player side is the coaching development in, in the United States is still behind. Like the infrastructure isn't there. The quality isn't there. You try to think of an American name for this job, and it's very, very difficult to think of ones that are extremely compelling. But even outside of that, and that is a problem which should be addressed. But for the sake of the, the team's progress in the immediate future – there are other names you can go and, and look at. Gremi Marty mentioned some of them. I'm still sort of taken by Futoshi Ikeda for Japan. We'll see what happens there. I know that uh, other entities, let's say, on the sporting side are, are very much looking at him. So that's one side of this. The other thing is there's there's more talent coming. You know, we won't see Megan Rapinoe at another World Cup. We won't see Julie Ertz at another World Cup. We will see Alyssa Thompson at more World Cups. We will see Olivia Moultrie at World Cups. We will see Jaden Shaw at World Cups. We will see Corbin Albert or Sam Coffey at World Cups. There's so much quality in this pool that is sort of yearning for some sort of cohesion. And if that arrives, and I'm optimistic that that it, it will, if that arrives, then I think this team immediately becomes another team that you can sort of say, all right, they could be in the final two of any World Cup. They could be lifting this trophy and, and nobody's going to bat an eye. Yeah. And the other silver lining is this team seemed to be causing people nothing but pain watching these games. And now that's over. And there are loads of fun teams at this tournament. So if you detach yourself from the fandom of supporting this team, which obviously I get and I understand the pain that an exit will have caused, this tournament from a neutral's point of view is now more interesting for the US not being in it. There is going to be a new champion, whether that is, that is Spain or Japan, who seem to be the new favourites at the moment are England. They're fun to watch. I mean, not fun for me to watch, but for everyone else to watch, England have been fun to watch. So I am looking forward to the quarterfinal stage onwards because it feels like we're kind of losing either bad teams or mediocre teams or teams that are not playing up to their potential like the US and we're starting to get the real quality. Mm. Is it too soon for the we're better off without you, America conversation, Graham? I don't know. But I get the point that you're saying there. Completely. In a football sense, right? Maybe this is shots fired. But in a football sense, this tournament is better off with it, yeah. this US team. I didn't, I didn't enjoy... I mean, it seems like I'm summing up the feelings of most people. I didn't enjoy watching this US team play at sure. this tournament. And That's there are other teams that I have had more fun watching. That is completely fair. Well, Sweden are going to be facing Japan on Friday at 3.30 a.m. Eastern. So a silver lining there, listener, your sleep patterns might not necessarily be disturbed later this week. That is week. genuinely a silver lining I had not thought of. There you go. Because <laughs> once again, this uh, this game would have been primetime US had the US have topped their group. They would have got the Netherlands slot. And the Netherlands fans wouldn't have had to step in the middle of their night to watch their game. So scheduling, fun. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about that Netherlands game. We're going to do some very specific predictions. We're going to try and make Taylor feel less sad. We're going to give him a big hug. Back shortly. 
Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show Women's World Cup Daily. We go now to Netherlands 2, South Africa nil. The Netherlands through to the quarterfinals with... Uh, they are two wins from making back-to-back finals in this one. Jill Roard with the opener, her fourth goal of the tournament. Then Lineth Bernstein sealing it later on. South Africa, Graham, didn't make this one easy. Uh, they created several chances on the break, but the Netherlands prevailing in the end. Yeah, not to give herself too much credit but this match pretty much panned out how i think we all predicted it would on 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 thursday south africa had some half chances on the break they they fought hard uh, they didn't fold after conceding uh, the early goal they did put bodies forward late on in the second half to try and get back into the game when they were 2-0 down but the netherlands just have better players they have a more proactive approach and they sort of coasted through this one without any serious test i don't think i'm downplaying what south africa offered too much in this match the the pace of katlana was a threat to the dutch defense and there were two or three moments when it felt like she was on the brink of just bursting through everyone there was a chance in the 34th minute which is exactly what we spoke about on thursday's episode with katlana up against spitz who didn't want that situation that sort of situation or anything like it but then Jackie Gronin I thought was key to the way the Netherlands stopped that from being a consistent threat she was tracking back to stay on Kitlana and apply pressure before she even got to Spitz and sometimes it was like hanging on for dear life but it worked well Um, the Dutch midfield was maybe a little bit loose in the first half and that gave South Africa opportunities to to play the ball in behind and that was that was a challenge for them but then they tightened up in the second half as they got through that phase of the game um, that could have been difficult for them and they very much deserve to be in the quarterfinals. Yeah, agreed with with all of that, Graham. I, I would put a little more credit on South Africa's name personally. Maybe I'm just having Group B sour grapes and I'm not, I'm not attempting to, but I do think they were dangerous on the break. Like Thambi Katlana was finding some decent opportunities between, South, uh, between the Netherlands center backs, excuse me. The Dutch will spread really, really wide, which opens up these, these large channels for South Africa to run into, and Katlana found multiple moments in this game of of like decent shots from inside the box. They gave up, the Dutch did, a, a little more than I thought they would in this game, to the point where it's very clear to me still that they're vulnerable. Like They, they score a goal on a set piece that is still an asset for them. They're dangerous in those moments. They have quality. Then the swim cap is always popping up in different spots in the mm. attacking third, and, and that's hard to stop because she's a very good player. The Dutch have a lot of very good players, but... 
still, if you can get at this Dutch team in transition, and South Africa did that, it's reasonable to think that uh, that, that that can happen for them on the on this other side of the bracket. Is it Spain next? It is. It's not Japan. Yes, it so is. that yes. that does change the calculus maybe a little bit here in terms of the next game. But all that to say, I don't think the the Netherlands are unbeatable like i i don't even know that they're especially strong at a lot of stuff i think they're going to go out in this next round especially because van der swim cap will be suspended for that match i didn't think that was particularly smart play from her to pick up that booking kind of lunging in um i think the netherlands are two nil up at that point or they might be one nil up i think they score maybe directly after that moment but nonetheless they're in a good position in that match she's such a key player for the netherlands and i think one of the success stories of this tournament for the Netherlands has been the way that the 3-5-2 shape has allowed uh, Andreas Jonker to get Jill Roard and Van de Donk and her swim cap into the same team. Um, there is overlap in terms of what those two players offer, and it was a bit of a Gerard Lampard issue for Mark Parsons at the Euros, but they've gone to this 3-5-2 shape and it allows Roard to get forward. She acts as a support striker at times. Luke Mertens will drop back in, in, in those on those occasions, and it just does a good job of getting all the best players into positions they look comfortable in. I think I'm a little bit higher on the Netherlands than, than Joe is, although broadly... I agree. I, I probably, I think they probably will lose in the in the quarterfinals to to, to Spain. But not having Van de, Van de Donk for that game is going to be really costly. Yeah, I think that I think that's probably why they're going going to struggle. I I think the Dutch could have been a problem for this Spain team uh, if they had Van de Donk and her swim cap ready to go. Uh, credit to her for getting the 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 initial header that is then uh, put in for the goal. So she's even involved with her head and her swim cap, even though she's not wearing it. Uh, but I think. The, the Dutch have looked really, really solid, especially in the opening 18 minutes. They continue that trend. They score another goal. I think that is now their sixth goal at this tournament scored inside the first 18 minutes. Does make me wonder what will happen if Spain stop them from scoring in the first 18 to 20 minutes of this game, of their game, and what will happen then. Uh, but I think it would have been a much more fascinating back-and-forth tactical game. I think Van de Donk's absence is really going to hurt the way the Dutch are able to play. Indeed. I like the way you said it wasn't a smart of her, Graham, because, of course, her previous challenges in this tournament have been categorized as smart all the way through, shall we mm. say. Um, South Africa, by the way, a credit to this World Cup, we can say. They brought some excitement. Uh, Katlana, a standout. Overall, I think we can say they're a credit. Two goals and two assists for Katlana, certainly. Uh, Taylor, I did enjoy this quote from coach Desiree Ellis afterwards. She said, to the sponsors, I don't know how you could ignore something special like this. What this team has achieved, the corporate world needs to stand up and really take notice and be counted. So a nice little call out that uh, a bit more support should be coming to this team and maybe some others uh, in the next tournament. Yeah, uh, Gianni Infantino would love to hear that, but he's busy taking calls for a future sponsorship for Saudi Arabia uh, World Cup. So uh, maybe he'll get around to supporting funding for some of the women's teams later on. But right now, it's very important that he continue to make more money off of the expanded Club World Cup. What, what are the chances Infantino is right now somewhere in the world with a drink that is made from a hollowed out coconut? With, uh, with a little <laughs> I can't remember. It. Has he returned? He He left, and then I think a lot of the scrutiny brought him back for... One game? I don't know if he is still there for the knockout round. You would assume he would be as the president of FIFA. But uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like odds are, are greater that he is drinking something out of a coconut somewhere yeah. on a tropical island. Yeah. He's like, is that our tournament? I didn't know that. Did we arrange that? I forgot we did that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm making a joke about Infantino, but to, to your, the point of your actual question, like, I think that is a going to be a major theme or should be a major theme coming out of this is how many teams that... I expected to not do well. How many teams I expected to just get blown out have done the opposite of that and in a few different cases made the knockout round and and could potentially keep going from there. So I, I think what we've learned is that teams can kind of pull through when they when they work together and play together and have a few key individuals, but uh, better funding and more resources would certainly make that a more balanced playing field and make that more likely to occur. So yeah, let's uh, let's get some better sponsors. Let's get some more money. That would be fine with me. Yeah, and one thing we should mention today is this is now the highest attended or most attended Women's World Cup of all time. There's still 11 games to go, and those games, of course, are the most consequential with, you would hope, big crowds. So it looks like we're going to smash that record, which is good news, of course. Not to be a spoil sport there, but I'm assuming part of that is to do with the fact that it's an expanded World Cup, and the last one before it was an expanded World Cup. So I feel like more games means more people attending, right? Yeah. 
that is fair. I'm not sure. Was it a total number? Was it per match? I'm not quite per sure. I should have happy. done my research. Yeah. Who's the pedant now, Graham? Who's the pedant now? <laughs> exactly. <There> we go. <laughs> uh, it is actually kind of amazing because this tournament, obviously, in Australia and New Zealand, Australia's uh, population is significantly bigger than New Zealand. This game, Netherlands taking on Spain, by the way, uh, on Friday, Thursday evening, US time, um, is in Wellington, which has a population of about five people. And 200,000 sheep. So to, for, for the fact this 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 tournament has done so well for attendance is way better. I was slightly exaggerating there, Graham, but the point... Yeah, I was going to search, search what the population of Wellington is. Isn't Wellington like the capital city of yeah, New Zealand? Yeah, there's 200,000 people live in Wellington. That's not a big population <laughs> for a city, Graham, is my point. Remember, and Graham, it, that Ryan's entire basis is London is the London, only city in yes. the world. Much like Alexis Guerrero's <laughs> only has New York. New York is the only city. Ryan says London is the only city. Taylor, I apologize for being born in the cradle of Western civilization. Okay, I'm sorry, but in the suburbs of Western civilization, is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Cool. 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 cool, Did you not leave the cradle of Western civilization to come back to London? I I left to go to the center of the universe, Charlotte, North Carolina. That's another conversation for another time. Um, Yeah. This the game Netherlands taking on Spain in Wellington. By the way, it just makes me think of Flight of Concords as well. Whenever someone mentions Wellington, I do love it, and uh, long may that continue. This game at 3 a.m. Central European time. So both uh, fans of both sides once again suffering from the U.S. not topping their group because this game. If we have to suffer, everybody else has to suffer too that's what i'm gonna say <laughs> that's on friday morning grant at 3 30 eastern uh sorry 3 30 central european time uh it would have been u.s prime time thursday night hey that's another story for another time let's do our very specific predictions to wrap up this show well, shall we the games for monday which we'll be discussing are the host Australia against denmark and england taking on nigeria taylor where did you land with your very specific prediction uh, I have one for Australia, Denmark. I think Joe and I are in a similar line of thinking that this one is gonna be ugly. Uh, I think there will be a combined, uh, uh, at least there will be 22 fouls between the two teams, which is about par for the course for the Danes. I think they've gone between like 9 and 12. Australia has fluctuated between 5 and 12 in their games, but I think this is going to be uh, a, a very like emotionally charged game for Australia playing in front of a home crowd, obviously I think, uh, but both teams are going to be sort of playing direct on occasion, lumping into the box. And I think trying to limit the effectiveness of counterattacks. I think there's going to be a lot of fouls, a lot of physicality on the set pieces. So I could see a set piece being taken, a whistle being blown and a free kick going the other way. I think we're going to get at least 22 total fouls in this game. Very specific 22. I like that very much. Joe, where did you go on this game? Extra time, ladies and gentlemen. I don't remember if this is one of the games that I predicted before the round of 16 started about extra time. I feel like there were a couple on on later later days, maybe Monday or Tuesday, that fell into this category as well. I think we laid out three, and I think this was one of them. The okay. U.S.-Sweden was also one of them. It was. So we're fair. one for one so yes. far. I'm yes. going back to the well here, folks, and I'm saying this game is going to go to extra time. We know what Australia want to do. They are committed to defending in a 4-4-2 shape. They would prefer to attack in transition. They would prefer to be on the break and compress space inside their own half with an occasional press here and there. And Denmark, for me, haven't really established a set identity at this tournament so far. They're willing to control games against teams that are better than. They'd like to sort of play in transition against teams that that they don't have quite as much talent as. And in this game against Australia, they probably are the, the worst team on paper coming into this match, which could look like then both teams not really wanting to have the ball. I'm thinking extra time, and I'm hoping that we'll go two for two. Okay, uh, that's less specific than 22 combined fouls, but hey... <laughs> Joe, Joe Gunning for that VSP title. What can I, say? I Okay, how about this? Um, I predict that this one game will be played in 120 minutes of soccer with penalties potentially at the end of it. Well, More numbers. It that Did that wow. work? More numbers yeah. in there? Yeah, great. Are we counting the massive chunks of extra time or stoppage time, excuse me, being added to (laughs) to games? Yeah, uh, I hope we are. I'll be gracious and not count that as towards my 120 minute tally, but that is tempting. All right, Graham, where have you gone? So I'm going to the England-Nigeria game, and my VSP for that match is Alex Greenwood will attempt more long passes than any other England player. That hasn't happened yet at this tournament. But the possession base has shifted for England since the Kira Walsh injury. Now, I should mention that just before we started recording, Serena Wiegmann revealed that um, Kira Walsh is back in training. She trained today. And if she comes through that training session unscathed, she will be available for selection. So I'm kind of gambling on Walsh either not featuring at all in this game or not starting. I would be surprised if she was in the starting 
lineup. But Wiegmann is doing some interesting things with the back three and then Katie Zellum in, in central midfield. And when Australia scored twice against Nigeria in the group stage, they exposed uh, space on the right side. England will have Lucy Bronze riding high on that side. Greenwood will be the left-sided centre-back. And so I think that diagonal pass out to Bronze will be a key part of how England play. So yeah, I think she'll attempt more long passes than any other Lioness player. Very good. Yeah, as you say, Graham, all Lioness is fit for this one. So we shall see how this one lines up. By the way, Alex Greenwood, whenever I hear that name, might just be me, but reminds me of the band Phantom Planet, whose singer was called Alex Greenwald. Um, who was also the bully in Donnie Darko. Alex Greenwald didn't even make that connection. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is definitely only you, Ryan Bailey. Is Alex Greenwald a lister? I don't know. We'll the OC is 20 years old this week, Graham. That's the the title song that they did, of course. Uh, I'm, I'm going slightly off course at the end of this podcast. I'll give you my slightly. very specific slightly. prediction. Just slightly. <laughs> my very specific predictions for England versus Nigeria as well. Alessia Russo is going to take more than 40 touches. That'll be the most of any game she's had thus far. Against Haiti, she had 36. Against Denmark, just 26. Against China, 34. I'm expecting England, England to play with the back three again with, uh, with Russo and Hemp up top. Expecting a reasonably dominant display hopefully Rachel Daly is probably left wing back providing some service and some nice passing triangles with Russo up top there this team growing into the tournament lots of possession lots of touches for Russo is my prediction more than 40 to be precise a a cool person would have said more than 60 I'm just gonna say more than 30 passes for Russo there we go there's my prediction I know how this works now (laughs) All right, excellent podding everybody listener thank you for joining on this one Taylor Rockwell thank you very much for your dissection of this US game and much more thank you my friend I look forward to continuing to watch the Women's World Cup now without the dread and anxiety uh, being involved there you go shoulders can drop you can relax and uh, like Graham said things are better now Graham who hates the I US, thought you were going to say, like every World Cup for Graham is, like without that stress and <laughs> oh, anxiety of watching it to your team mates. You did it to you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was right there, Ryan. <laughs> oh, Graham, thank you anyway, sir, for your uh, contributions. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And thank Joe, you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, thank you very much indeed, sir. Yeah, 22 players on the field for USA Sweden, but feels like Vlako Andonovsky is the anti-hero. Um, just a sad start to August, fellas. Nice. Nicely wrapped up. Bookends, we call that, Joe. Very nicely done. Listener, thank you for joining us on this journey. We'll be back on the feed tomorrow with more Women's World Cup daily. But for now, bye!